Our scripture this evening is 1 Corinthians 15, the last verse in the chapter, verse 58. Uh, as we've mentioned already, singing Psalm 16, preparing for it, it is the uh, special chapter, really focusing in on the resurrection and the truth of the resurrection. And therefore, because it's true, kind of the conclusion in verse 58 is what should we do about it while we're here on earth? How that should impact us. This is a special request. Uh, Let me read it for you now. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Hear now the word of the Lord. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let me read that once more. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading, the preaching, the hearing, the believing, and the doing of his holy word with faith, repentance, and love. Well, after the message last Lord's Day evening, make your last years be your best years. Uh, That is, may your last years be your best years. Uh, Mr. Renner uh, asked for tonight's text to be preached as a scripture that he thought of and relates something that often encourages him to endeavor to do so. Hopefully, uh, He won't want me saying this, but I think we can see Mr. Renner. He's pretty busy doing a lot of work and abounding in it, doesn't give up, and that's not without a back that troubles him sometimes and other challenges, but he keeps his hand to the plow. So he is our example. I think it's encouraging to consider how much this verse is almost one of his theme verses and encouragements for life. May it be for us as our motivation. Because if you doubt whether you will complete a task, if you doubt whether you might actually complete a project, you often can begin to doubt whether you should give your all to it. You may even quit. Or you may waver and take breaks, take detours, and take shortcuts, and ultimately not really be about your work like you could be if you knew, if you knew you're sure to win. You're sure everything you're doing is sure to be accomplished and have its impact. Because our faith in the resurrection and its preaching are not in vain, neither are our works on earth uh, empty of meaning and purpose along the way. Give that to you as the main idea of this verse in its context. Because our faith in the resurrection and its preaching are not in vain, Neither are our works on earth empty of meaning and purpose along the way. Let's look at verses 56 and 57 that kind of lead into the verse. You know, the the verse starts with therefore, so there's a reference. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, ultimately, that fear of death, everybody fears death. I remember uh, Larry King all, all the time came up very regularly when he would talk to people. Uh, he's, he was afraid to die. He feared death. 
And quite a few people admit that. In fact, I think I've shared with you before in Pittsburgh when I was in seminary, uh, one of our assignments was to go and witness to people uh, apologetics and evangelism classes. And uh, we would ask these questions to try to to get to being able to share the gospel. One of the questions we would ask is, uh, well, what do you think is going to happen to you when you die? Almost all the time. Like to pass on that question, please. You know, not said that way, but I don't want to talk about it. I, I don't want to think about it. I don't like to think about death. Why? Because it's that sense of finality, permanence, the end to what we're trying to do and be here in this life. And so many don't believe there's a resurrection. Don't believe there's even an afterlife in any sense. So that's a, that's a, it's a, it's a sting. But. Because the resurrection is true, what do we say? There's no sting by death. Grave has no victory. Because of Jesus Christ, he's given us victory over death in the resurrection. He is the resurrection. He's the Holy One of Psalm 16. Death couldn't hold him. And because of that, we can serve him. But that really is a a concern for us that Paul's kind of making a practical application for us in the context of the whole chapter about the resurrection. We can face death, and it doesn't have to paralyze us and freeze us in terms of being a lively servant of the Lord. Verse 54, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed in victory. And he's talking about putting on that spiritual body, right? And he talks about that in some other verses here. You know, we're going to be giving a spiritual body at the resurrection. And we're going to declare death is swallowed up in victory. There's no more fear of death, no more sting of death. That is going to be your reality. Therefore, your reality as you face the first death, knowing you won't face the second death in hell, but your body will be raised up to serve the Lord at the resurrection in the new heavens and the new earth in an incorruptible body, incapable of sinning in any way, which is incredible to think about. Therefore, keep working. Keep your hand to the plow. Remain steadfast, he says, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Give it your all to your dying day because of the resurrection. And as we thought about a little bit last week, you know, that, that can have its different manifestations along the way in life. That can have different ways of serving the Lord, um, depending on what our abilities are as as we approach death in older age, at least, and what that might uh, do to us. But there's no reason for us to feel like I'm slowing down now or, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to serve the Lord with fervor. You see, death should not deter your determination. And the whole context of this chapter is whether faith in the resurrection is a reality or death makes your efforts unnecessary, or unimportant, or even pointless. If there's no resurrection, Paul says, what are are we doing here? (laughs) But because there is absolutely a resurrection, that's not a vain belief. Therefore, all your work for the Christian faith is not vain. You will be raised from the dead. Death doesn't end the significance of your serving Jesus. 
Verse 58, the end of this chapter, therefore, is a summary of his argument that the resurrection is true. So you need not let up one minute on serving Jesus in your life as you face death in the face. Now, see the concern about your works, whether they are vain, related to how they would be if other things were in vain. That idea of vanity, and that it means emptiness, foolishness worthlessness. That's the idea of, of vain. No, no point to it. If these other things are vain and empty that he discussed, then yeah, your works in the Lord are in vain. What's the point? Why bother? Give up now. But because these things are absolutely true, this is the end game, if you will. <laughs> keep playing. Keep moving along. But notice this concern. Now, some of the verses are going to specifically have that, that idea of vanity involved. Um, that informs the word's use at the end of this chapter, but just these general concepts he's, he's working with. We won't look at everything in the chapter, but we'll look at a number of verses. Go back with me to verse 2 to begin with. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Are you believing in vain? Is what you believe in empty of truth, or are you not really believing the truth? There's a concern not to believe in vain. The resurrection is something that is not vain to believe in, and you should absolutely believe truly not in an empty way in the resurrection, and that ought to impact the way you live and serve and work. Notice there's that two times, work and labor in the Lord. You know, synonyms is working, this laboring for the Lord. That's not going to be in vain. You'll keep at it and it'll be fulfilled if your faith is not in vain. Verse 2. Look at verse 4. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is part of the gospel. Verse 3 talks about the other basics of the gospel. A good place to remember to go if you want to explain the basic, uh, basics of the gospel. Verses 1 to 3. But verse 3, what does he highlight as one of the basic things about the gospel? That Christ was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures, such as Psalm 16 that we sang and Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2 of Christ. This is absolutely what the scripture said would happen. He would have to die so that he could be raised from the dead, raised from being buried. And that's what happened. He says it's a done deal. It did happen. Christ rose from the dead. This is the basics of the gospel. It's, it's not something to doubt. And by the way, a lot of people do. I mean, even in many liberal churches, um, started to deny the resurrection, the doctrine of the resurrection, and explain it away figuratively and um, uh, in allegorical ideas. But no, the doctrine of the resurrection is an extremely important Christian doctrine. Paul's going out of his way to belabor that point. It's not... A little thing, and it's not something to think about without a lot of hope and excitement, and therefore work upon it. Look at verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Now notice, Paul says, 
I mean, if anybody shouldn't be raised from the dead, it's me. But he says, God's grace in me was not in vain. You see, the purpose of grace is to save us into being servants of the Lord. And if our work is for the Lord, it's not in vain. The resurrection, eternity is all in and behind it. So he says, God's grace was not in vain, and therefore what did I do? I labored more abundantly by God's grace. Now we know before the grace of God in him from Christ, he was already a hard worker, right? But now the grace of God makes him even more of a laborer. And he takes encouragement to know his labor is not in vain. The grace is not in vain. He works, he labors more, and therefore he's calling us to do the same in the last verse here, making the same connections. Look at verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? You see, this is really the impetus of this chapter. There are cues in other parts of the, of the letter, just as there are in all the Bible. Chapter 7, you know, according to some of these things you wrote to me about marriage, here's my answers, right? And here he's saying, look, some of you are saying there's no resurrection of the dead, so I, I got to deal with that. You know, come on. And he's making a big thing about it here. But this is the context again. Some of them are denying that there is a resurrection from the dead. He says, if there isn't, then verse 13, Christ isn't risen. And verse 14, if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also vain. Notice twice now the worst of this, you, this word vain. Now imagine, if the resurrection is in vain, empty of truth, not to be believed in, and our faith in it is really empty of anything, he said, then my preaching's in vain. Why should I even bother to step up to the pulpit? I mean, beloved, this is one of the things that encourages and strengthens me to keep preaching. Because it's true. God's going out of his way to emphasize, it is true. I have to trust it's true. So all my work on behalf of you working as a church together is not in vain. Because the resurrection is true and belief in it is not in vain. And preaching the resurrection, even this night, is not Vanity. It's full of God's purpose and plan. It's full of promise and certainty of how the Lord will use it. Oh, it's a mystery often how, how we know he will use it and where he will work, but it's not in vain. It's not vain for you to be here tonight proclaiming the resurrection of Christ on the Sabbath day. It's not vain for you to hear, be here listening to a sermon on the resurrection and that it's not in vain and that the preaching of it is not in vain. I mean, we're, we're kind of living out some of the truth of this as he speaks, as Christ speaks through these words. Uh, look with me at verse 17. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Wow, see, if Christ isn't risen from the dead, it doesn't matter what he did on the cross because there his blood remains on the cross. But it can't save you there. Remember, he's the priest after the order of Melchizedek, but there is a significant connection to the things that are figuratively pointing ahead to him, the types and signs. The priest, when he sacrificed the animal, the blood was spilt, yes, but the blood then had to be applied to be effectual, to do something. In this case, ceremonially, pointing to Christ truly, the blood had to be applied to the altar, especially the high priest once a year, the Day of Atonement. He could go into the Holy of Holies and apply the blood. 
Christ has to ascend back to the true holy of holies in heaven, Psalm 24, Psalm 110, and apply as high priest his own blood, the blood of the Lamb that takes away our sins. If he doesn't apply the blood there, there's no saving us of our sins. If there's no resurrection, there's no ascension. And therefore, there's no application of his blood in an everlasting priesthood. But there is, because he is raised from the dead. Peter preaching in Acts chapter 2, as I mentioned when we say Psalm 16, he points to Psalm 16 not to prove the resurrection. He says, you've all seen the resurrection of Christ. He's saying, therefore, he's proving Christ is the Messiah, because that was prophesied by David of Christ and the resurrection in, in Psalm 16, and David knew he was. So therefore, look, Jesus is the Messiah. But what is his proof that Jesus is the Messiah? You've all seen he's raised from the dead. And as we know, our scriptures say many witnesses of him being raised from the dead. Christ is raised. Therefore, our faith in him as the first fruits of our resurrection is not in vain. Because it's in him who is the resurrection. Look at verse 19 with me. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are, all, we are of all men most miserable. If this is all it's about, this life, then certainly stop working. Right? Go eat, drink, and play. Tomorrow we may die. <laughs> you know, if this is all there is, then what's the point? You know, If there's no resurrection, faith is in vain. Our hope is in vain. Our sins are not forgiven and we're most miserable. We're just playing games. We're not saved. We're not redeemed. We're not reconciled to God. Because Christ must be risen from the dead and apply his blood in the true holy of holies in heaven from whence he came. That we can now approach the throne of grace with confidence seeking mercy in our time of need. Uh, He's being rhetorical. If that were the case, then it would be in vain, and so would it be pointless and vanity to waste your time serving the church, working for Jesus. It would just be a waste of your time. Yeah, death is coming, and death is coming soon, so get out there and serve yourself while you can. But of course, he's being rhetorical. This is not the case. Look at verse 25. For he must reign, Jesus must reign, till he hath put all enemies under his feet. Ah, see? Jesus has ascended, and all enemies are being put under his feet at this time. He's presently reigning, and he's coming back to consummate the kingdom. Verse 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. I mean, what other, what's the worst enemy, you know, what else is there? (laughs) What's the greatest thing everybody's afraid of? What is true that many Christians are afraid of? We ask the Lord to help us not die. I think some of us would say, even if I have to be three, four, or five hundred years old and can barely move and they have to drag me on the carpet, don't, please don't let me die. Right? But we have to remember what Paul says in Philippians, uh, we've seen not so long ago. To live is Christ, to die is gain. I know it'd be better for you if I stay here, but it's better for me if I get to go be with Jesus in heaven. It's better for me if I die. Well, what is that? How can that be a hope for Paul? Unless what he says here is so true. The resurrection is true. 
Death will be completely destroyed in the end. We'll be given our new bodies at the resurrection and live forever on the new heavens and the new earth, beloved, with no sin, thus no wages for sin, no fear of death. I mean, we're always thinking about it, right? It's always on our mind. What, we're, we're afraid, what should we do, this or that, before we die? How can we try to prolong it, our life? You know, the, the, I mean, that is going to be like not even in our radar. It's just not going to be there. There will be no thinking about death. It's not going to be something to prepare for. <laughs> it's going to be gone. Look at verse uh, 30 with me. And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? Why are we acting all worried about what's going to happen at death? Verse 31, I protest by your rejoicing, uh, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. And verse 32, I particularly want to get to. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantageth it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You know, why, why, why did I risk my life? Why did I go against beasts, you know, figuratively here? Why, why did I risk it all? I mean, he almost died, right? <laughs> As they were proclaiming uh, things to the false god. Uh, why, why, do I wor- why did I risk it? What's it worth? What's the point? You know, if the resurrection isn't true, why do I bother with all this sacrifice in missions? You know, think about it, he's writing in the letter to the Philippians in prison, you know. Why would I go through all this if it's in vain? What, what's the point? Beloved, I think you and I often kind of struggle with, <laughs> you know, should we keep on keeping on? You know, does it matter if we stand for truth and all the truth? So help us, God. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't worry so much about all the particulars. Maybe we shouldn't make such a point of things. And, you know, just, just take it easy, you know. Get to the point where maybe we don't even really believe it's true and we just decide, let's just enjoy life here. Isn't that really the theme of the world? Let's eat and drink and party it up because we're going to die sometime soon. Might as well enjoy it while we can. Well, that's the life of someone with no hope, actually. That's the life of someone with vanity, an empty life, a life empty of any purpose and meaning. Because after death is eternal death. It doesn't get better, contrary to popular opinion. (laughs) That's it. I mean, that's empty of purpose. That's empty. And all that eating and drinking, uh, that's just empty of anything. And it's over in death. It is over in death. It's done in death. That's it. Verse 40. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Verse 44, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And he's making an argument here, is why is this so hard for you to understand? You know, there's certain animals of a certain kind of flesh, those of another, you know... There is a body in this world, and there will be a spiritual body for the next world. There is going to be a resurrection. There's going to be a spiritual body that cannot die, namely because it cannot sin. 
Beloved, death must not damper your devotion and dedicated service. And so this is Paul, where Paul goes with the whole argument. All these things that could be vanity are not vanity. It's all true. Especially the resurrection, your faith in it, and the preaching of it, which is really the context and purpose of this whole thing called Christianity and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all true, beloved. The gospel is true. The Bible is true. The resurrection is true. And you want to be on this side of the resurrection, the sheep. Separated from the goats. Judging those who will be, after the general resurrection, sent to the second death. While the Lord Jesus then says, come in to your father's house that I've been preparing for you. Rejoice and enjoy it. That's what it's all about. And therefore, all of your work is building the church, building the house of the Lord. It's investing in infinite, eternal... It's investing in eternal things. It's investing in things that last, truly last. And that you get to keep seeing in the spiritual body at the resurrection. You get to keep enjoying the fruit of your labor. You get to see a lot more of it, I hope to say, than we can see now. Of how the Lord used it all. So keep at it. Therefore, that all being discussed and argued, none of it's vain, beloved. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, you might say, until your dying day, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's a call to keep at Christianity, keep at the church, keep at serving Jesus, because it's all true. So therefore, all your work has a purpose in it. Death must not damper your devotion and dedicated service because it can't deaden the reality that there is a truly eternal importance to all you are doing for Christ's kingdom. Trust these truths. And I have a number of scriptures to share with you. The first is back in chapter 3. Turn with me there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 8. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. It's talking about the service of working and building and planting for the, for the church. Planting, watering, all of our different jobs. But verse 7 says it's God that gives the increase. But God does give the increase. And there will be a resurrection. So again, notice, he talks about we're all laborers for God in verse 9. But notice, back in verse 8, every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. You know, you're going to be able to have that satisfaction, and I'm sure it won't be vanity in heaven, but there'll be some aspect of, I got, I got to work on that. You know, I got to be I got to be part of that, and here it is with its fruit. Here it is with its life, here it is with its eternal impact, here it is with its eternal significance. Death couldn't stop it because of the resurrection, because of Jesus. 
Trust that truth. Trust this truth, Galatians 6, 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap. If we faint not. Colossians 3, verse 24. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. It's interesting that word inheritance. Back in Psalm 16 that we said, the Lord is our inheritance. And of course Jesus tells us in him we'll inherit all things. When's that? The resurrection. The resurrection. 1 Timothy 5 verse 18. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Now, that's a more specific situation Paul's addressing. Nonetheless, the laborer is worthy of his reward. Of course, we say we are unworthy servants only doing our duty. Nonetheless, the Lord rewards He is not unrighteous. One of the scriptures says, I believe in Hebrews, and I'm realizing it, I think I've left it out. He is not unrighteous not to recognize rewarding you for what you've done for him. I'm going to jot that down to get it later. Hebrews 10.35, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Hebrews 11.6, Believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Be like Moses, Hebrews 11.26, who, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Moses gave up the glory of this world for Christ and the resurrection and the incredible reward that comes with that. After all, serving Egypt is going to die. In the end, Revelation 11, verse 18. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great. And Revelation, of course, is a call to persevere. Keep on serving in the church, regardless of all the pain and problems and difficulties. Jesus even highlights my faithful martyr Antipas. He particularly highlights him because he was willing to die for the faith. The hope, how can that be of any significance or hope if not because there's a resurrection coming? Further, Revelation 22, 12. And behold... I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. And of course, our text tonight tells us that your labor and work in the Lord is not in vain. He's going to reward your work in heaven. It's not a 
merits-based earning. It's just the Lord's going to bless you for your work. There's significance to what you're doing now. And non-Christians can't say that. At the end of the day, there's very little significance, and it all will die. Isn't that what the preacher says, right? Vanity, vanity. It's all vanity. Why? Ecclesiastes. Because it's all going to fade away. And you don't even know what those behind you are going to do with any of it if it even lasts. Nobody can really know that their work isn't anything but vanity outside of Christ. Only Christians have this hope because of the hope of the resurrection. Only Christians have such a purpose in their work to put a spring in their step with it. Holding up their heads. Looking for Christ's return. Isaiah 62, verse 11. Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world, Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. Matthew sixteen twenty seven. Jesus says, For the Son of Man shall come, in the glory of his Father with his angels. Now what's understood there? He's raised from the dead and ascended into heaven already. Or, or will be, that is. He's assuming the resurrection by saying this and goes on to say, And then, at his return, he shall reward every man according to his works. And if your works are for Jesus, inherently, in Christ, they have value and reward in them. Therefore, keep at it abundantly, steadfast. Thus, be steadfast, be immovable, be abounding in the works of the Lord always. I can't help but think to address our young ladies working on the library. (laughs) It's quite a daunting task. I encourage you to have this in view. Hopefully there's many years ahead of you, but you don't know that. But you can know that your work in the Lord is not in vain. So keep at it. This is true for all of us. For in fact, Ephesians 2 verse 10, remember, tells us that though we're not saved by our works, nonetheless, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God has ordained your labor in the Lord, and because of the resurrection, and because it's been ordained, it's not in vain. It's full of purpose, and it'll have an everlasting meaning and significance and effect. So, beloved, Christians... Keep your hand to the plow and your eyes on Christ. Because your faith and the resurrection is real, do earthly works with heavenly zeal. You know, Paul talks about abounding, steadfast. Don't you? Go for it. Give it all you have. Why? Because none of it is in vain. Not one ounce of it. 
the message for you this evening. Because your faith and the resurrection is real, do earthly works with heavenly zeal. Let us pray. We do thank you, Lord God, for affirming us in Christ, confirming our works in Christ. We know we merit nothing before you, yet we rejoice to know that you are righteous and you reward us for serving you. And our work for you is the most important thing we can be doing. Whatever we sacrifice in this life before death comes, so what? Serving you in this life with the hope and promise and certainty that death has no sting. It's swallowed up in the resurrection. So our service in the kingdom will have its full manifestation and beauty and blessing and joy at the resurrection in the new heavens and the new earth. For in Christ you will not let us stay in corruption, but will raise us from the dead. And we will reign with you forever and ever and inherit all things. And most importantly, you are our inheritance. And in your presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. So in the Holy One, Almighty God, indeed, keep our hands to the plow. Keep our eyes on Christ, looking to him who is the author and finisher of our faith. And it is finished at the resurrection. And we will enjoy the fruit of our labors. Though we sow in tears, we will reap in joy. So, Lord, strengthen us. Make us immovable, abounding, steadfast in our work for you, Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and all your people said, Amen.